I threw a prototype in the garbage. Uh, Two, actually. When I bought them in February, the world was operating as it had been for the previous months or years. There were rumors and vague stories of a virus that had revealed itself in China, but the stories and reports were as distant as if someone were standing down the block and were whispering words of warning. The message would eventually become louder, though. But for me, between commuting and working amidst a media company merger, the days blended into one another with a wind-whipped blur. There were some days on my commute in which I'd fall asleep and awake 40 minutes later, not sure if I was on my way to work or if I was leaving New York City and finally heading home. I released a podcast episode on March 12th. It was the final episode in the series titled ICCC and the Nashville Experience, about the toy convention that took place the previous September. Looking back on it now, I was shocked to see that I had published an episode on the day that for me and most of my coworkers and friends, everything changed. The day before, I spoke to my boss, the head of corporate communications for my company, and I told him that in the face of a rising pandemic, I no longer felt comfortable coming into work. That each day of commuting to the city was becoming more harrowing. And with the risk and the death toll growing rapidly, I asked if I could work from home until the threat of this phantom virus subsided. I was concerned for the health of my family and could not risk exposing any of them to whatever was prowling our country. So the next day, I began working from home, and by the afternoon, as COVID-19 infected a few employees in two of our midtown buildings, the rest of my company joined me in working from home for the rest of the year. And during the next week, those two prototypes from China arrived at my front door. Wearing latex gloves, I picked up two small packages from the mailbox and brought them into my garage. I have been buying prototypes from China-based eBay sellers for years. And while I already owned an example of each of the ones that were still in sealed envelopes on my garage floor, I knew I couldn't bring them into the house. None of us had any idea what we were dealing with. People had begun hoarding things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer, and we were just blanketed by a cloud of fear. Of fear of the unknown. Where to step as we walked through a minefield? Or how many mines were under our feet? And what those mines actually were? I stood in the darkness of the garage as the automatic light shut off, leaving me alone with the orange permafrost of the streetlights. I love prototypes so much. If you've listened to me speak about them, you know just how rare they are. Sometimes one or two of a kind. I pressed my glove fingers against each sealed envelope, tracing the outline of each figure with my hands. My anxiety rose with each minute that I stood in front of them. I couldn't bring them in the house in case they had remnants of whatever was making people sick. I couldn't risk my family's health because of some strangely colored plastic figures with no heads or copyright markings. I looked up at the darkened ceiling and tried to think of which ones these were, since I had ordered them so long ago. I ruled out any of the exceptionally rare ones or ones that were more expensive. They had arrived before the virus did and were safely stored in my house. I felt each one through the envelope to make sure my guesses were correct, and as soon as I had confirmation, I walked down my driveway and opened the lid of the garbage bin I had brought to the curb about an hour earlier. I tore the label off each envelope 
and threw the unopened packages into the garbage. Carefully removing my gloves, I slipped them into the garbage as well. I stood on my driveway for a few minutes. The moon seemed brighter, and I felt comforted by all of the lit front porches that stretched as far as I could see. I was home, and I was safe. Before heading back inside, I remember saying to myself, We will get through this. We will at last whatever this is. This was the year of the pandemic. This is a look back on what it is like to be a Star Wars fan and collector in 2020. This is the start of a new year, a new hope. This is the beginning of Season 3, with some incredible episodes coming your way. This is an honor and a blessing. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. was a challenging one. You're probably tired of hearing that. I know I'm tired of hearing it. We're still living through the challenges. But it was another year that we were alive, blessed to be on this earth, and given time to learn more about the world, more about ourselves, and become stronger, kinder, and more adaptive. And so I wanted to capture what it was like to be a collector during the pandemic because some really wonderful and special things happened, and I wanted to put it on record so we could remember the positive moments. With the passing of time, we tend to forget. Yes, COVID-19 will always be the title of 2020, but our year will always be about so much more. A few weeks ago, leading up to the new year, our good friend Thomas Quinn posted a reflection on the year before it left us once and for all. Tom is one of the co-founders and leaders of one of the best Star Wars collecting groups in the world, the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club. What he said in his post really touched me, and I knew I wouldn't be able to say it any better than he did. So I asked him if he would kindly read it for this episode. Here's Tom to share his Yoda-like wisdom in a look back on 2020. You read and hear over and over what a terrible year 2020 was and that nothing good at all happened over the last 12 months. You learned to adapt. Your kids got sent home for viral learning. You got sent home to work from there. You learned the skills needed to do these things. You learned that relationships are more important than things. While so many events got canceled or postponed, you reached out to those most important to you 
and found ways to keep relationships strong. Being home with your family created memories that won't be forgotten in our lifetimes. You became stronger because of loss. You have lost loved ones and seen people get sick without being able to comfort them in person. But you endured it and have learned to cherish each day as a special gift. You renewed your passion for compassion. We all are reminded that black lives matter, that people in nursing homes matter, that healthcare workers matter, that grocery store workers matter, and that small businesses matter. Finally, you took life one day at a time. You looked around and saw the beauty in every day, the flowers which bloomed in the sunshine, the color of the autumn leaves, the fresh snow, the simplicity of Christmas lights. 2020 has taught us all lessons. I am so thankful because of it, and I know we will all appreciate what 2021 has in store. Happy New Year. January kicked off the year in style. At the end of the month, Ross Barr held an Empire State Collectors Club meetup at his home. And while it was the first meetup of the year for most of us, sadly, it would also serve to be the last. In total, around 50 collectors and friends attended the event, with some traveling quite a distance to be there. Chris Dragulius flew in from North Carolina, Trent and Corey Bailey came up from Nashville, and California's own Brian Angel traveled coast to coast for the weekend. Ross really made the event special for all of us. From the food he served, to the trivia game he created, and the prizes given, to the feeling that pervaded the entire day spent at his house. That you were welcomed, that you belong there, and that you are a part of something. Reflecting on that day, I thought about what Ross did for us and shared this sentiment in the episode. I said, And people who show kindness to strangers and newer collectors act as a beacon. They help to light a path that often appears to be too far away, too difficult to navigate, or too long and winding for us as we make our first steps into the community. We look to these collectors to help us, just a little, so that we could feel comfortable in a group with which we're not yet familiar. Ross's attitude toward us was a warm invite to be part of the party, wherever we were, and it's a trait I've tried to emulate as newcomers have joined our Empire State Club, or showed up to a meetup, or show, or even celebration for the first time. As I've learned from Ross, the things we say to others and do for others carry weight. We can never see the depth or breadth of their impact, but their results can be life-changing. Words and actions carry weight. Give generously and lead with kindness, and you can change a life for the better. I'd recommend going back and listening to episode 19, which captured this wonderful and memorable meetup. 
Throughout the year, I've listened to it so many times, especially when I was having a tough day or feeling a general disconnection from the rest of the world. I was listening to episode 19 during a recent bike ride, and in addition to laughing aloud at the trivia game segment, I realized how important that day at Ross's became to me. I'm so glad I decided to make that episode the first one of the year, because it has helped me to remember the times we've spent together with our fellow collectors, and how those moments are truly the ones that top any find or acquisition. For the episode, I asked each attendee two questions. What was your favorite pickup for the previous year, and what was your favorite collecting moment? The questions cut to the heart of what we as collectors enjoy and what we value. It's fun to talk about what we collect, but to also reflect on why something is meaningful to us. And I knew that the answers to both questions would be unique from person to person, because we're all so different. And the question to which I longed to hear the answer to the most was about a personal collecting moment. To me, hearing the stories behind the memories my friends cherished connected me to them, and it made me appreciate what meant something to each of them. So looking back on 2020, I didn't want collectors to remember the year as a throwaway, or as something negative because it would forever be tied to a pandemic. And as Tom illustrated earlier, while it was a challenging one, it was also an important one because it derailed us from our daily routines and the paces we kept and caused many of us to look inward and to figure out what was truly important. And for Star Wars collectors, without our routine of scheduled conventions, toy shows, and meetups, the year would be different, but would be no less impactful. So I asked a number of our friends the same two questions, this time looking back on 2020. I think some of the answers will make you laugh, some will surprise you, and some will connect you more closely to these wonderful people who share the same interests and passions. Over the course of this episode and the next, as we look back on the year, our friends will share the pickups and collecting moments that meant something to them in 2020. Hello? Hello? <sighs> David Quinn, this is Joseph O'Neill from the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club, reaching out to you in your time of need. Anyways, what were your questions? What's, uh, what's my favorite pickup from this year? Hmm, let's see, I actually had several, so let's just break it all down from the beginning of 2020 all the way through today. Uh, no, but seriously, um, what did I get this year? Actually, there was some nice stuff. Uh, oh, finally completed my childhood AT-AT. Actually, not my childhood AT-AT. My buddy Kevin's childhood AT-AT, who he gave to me, but we were close pals, so I'm going to sort of grift on to his childhood at at and claim it as my own but uh yep yep so, uh, let's see finally assembled the um missing chin guns and side gun and battery compartment so very pleased about that that was a fun pickup from 2020 let's see tom quinn was nice enough to gift me an x-wing uh fighter let's see uh let's see let's see another friend tyler fedigan he was nice enough he gifted me a uh, land of jawas playset for my birthday Back in August, which was pretty super dope. Uh, recently picked up a boxed complete Return of the Jedi Jabba the Hutt dungeon. Uh, the 88 Nikto Clat 2 version. Missing the figures, but even still, boxed. Tape still sealed on one side, so that was cool. Uh, besides, of course, the Spiral Zone figures uh, that I picked up this year. That was fun. And then most recently, or, or recently as well, uh, picked up my nephew's 
childhood Star Wars stuff, most of which I gave them. Uh, it's been sitting in my sister's garage. She's like, get it out of here. I don't care about it. So I'm digging through, you know, found a couple of beater vintage figures in there, but also pulled out a Clone Wars gun act. Missing the gun, but, uh, you know, this is a great designed, uh, great little figure here. So very excited about that. I feel there's another <clears throat> Star Wars item. I am missing, I don't know. And then I'd say uh, favorite, what was the other question? Collector moment, um, the Zoom meetups. I loved them. I mean, of course, Ross's house in, in, what was that, January was great. I mean, it seems like such a, it, it was like a lifetime ago, like a world away because we were interacting and touching each other. But then the Zoom meetups, I've had a field day with those. Uh, I loved them. I thought they were great. It was a fun, fun, impromptu way, informal way for people to get together and I'm naturally a loud person. So it fits my personality. So that's it, my friends. Hope this helps and, uh, you know, miss you and hope all is well. And to the best, to the best of 2021, whatever that means. All right. See ya. after Ross's meetup, I took my first toy trip of the year. Back out to Warminster, Pennsylvania for Michael Zolatoro's annual Zolocon toy show. The building's history is incredible enough, a centrifuge that served as a testing ground for astronauts like Buzz Aldrin to prepare for zero-gravity missions. But a day at Zolocon is always a good one, and I couldn't ask for a better winter toy show. I wish I could say I remembered more of that day. I had published an episode about Zolocon the previous year and decided to enjoy this experience and to forego recording anything. A smattering of images crosses my mind as I look back on it, though. Walking up to the building that had a large vinyl banner with the word FUGE in large red letters against a white background. The weather was certainly warmer than it was the year before. I remember taking a break around lunchtime and heading a mile down the road with about 20 others to Mission Barbecue. After ordering our meals, we pushed a series of tables together and turned that lunch into a Thanksgiving-style event with our family of collectors. I had spent less time hunting for items for myself that day and focused more on helping friends, like sending photos of sealed Empire Strikes Back plate and napkin sets to Fonz in case he needed them for his birthday party items run or sharing pics of a Superman marionette display with Zach Curtis, who has one of the largest Man of Steel collections in the world. Finding items for friends and bringing smiles to their faces has become as rewarding as picking up ones for my own collection. Normally, when I go into a show, I do a quick run of the entire floor to see what's available, and then I'll do a second run at a much slower pace. It gives me the opportunity to catch up with friends and dealers and to really dig through bins and boxes that line each table. But for this one, I don't know. I just remember being at a place mentally in which I was happy to shut off my mind and be with friends. February was a month in which clouds of anxiety that had been hanging over me for the past few months finally came crashing down, almost all at once, and I was really struggling. I left all those outside worries at the door of the fuge and allowed myself to wander aimlessly, drifting from table to table, watching the world around me buzz as collectors talked and hunted and created a kinetic highway in which I was happy riding at my own pace 
in the right-hand lane. Hey guys, what's going on? It's uh, Joel. And uh, my favorite pickup of the year is definitely uh, Hot Toys, Mandalorian, uh, the one six scale figure. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, it's like having like a prop miniature on my shelf because it's so accurate and well-made. And it also is so great that it comes from this world um, that expands the Star Wars universe. And it is so intricate and amazing and such a great story that, you know, we know now that the universe, the Star Wars universe, and this hobby can keep going on from just our generation to generations to, to come. It's going to keep going. It's going to keep being great. Um, as for my personal favorite uh, collecting moment of the year, you know, I didn't get to see many people um, except for doing the Zoom and all that stuff. But uh, I did have a great interaction with uh, John Paul Ragusa. What up, John Paul? Um, you know, besides Star Wars, I collect, uh, you know, shows and anime and i also collect uh, toys from the 60s and 70s um he was able to provide me with this great 72 uh gachamon figure gachamon was battle of the planets here in the states but you know we didn't actually get to see the whole thing because he had to get rid of some episodes because they were bloody and japanese and everything but um he got me this great figure and you know talking to him about it reminded me you know everyone's got so much knowledge um no matter how much you know uh, there's so much more to know um, about this great hobby that we've got. Um, and by the way, it's not just a hobby. I think it's, it's kind of an obsession and I love it. And, uh, I can't wait to see you guys in person real soon, dudes. Later. One of the goals for the year was to pick up my first Star Wars modern prototype wax piece. Waxes are generally the first finalized three-dimensional representation of an action figure, and are extremely rare. Any that made it out of Hasbro's facilities are either with former or current employees, or are locked away with collectors. Also, some of them became casualties of the pre-production process due to their fragile natures. But I thought it would be fun to try to hunt one down, and again, the intention was to do so over the course of the entire year. And in collecting, when you set a goal that you hope to achieve by the end of December, it has a habit of turning up quicker than you or your wallet would ever expect. In the two weeks between Ross's event and Zolocon, I had the opportunity to buy my first wax pieces. The first was a wax sculpt of the Luke Bespin head from the 2002 Saga collection. It appears to be an early or alternate sculpt. Luke's hair is matted against his face after a battle with Darth Vader, and the sculpt mimics Luke's grimace after learning Vader was his father. As Luke Skywalker is my favorite character from Star Wars, this was an incredible first wax to add to my collection. The second one was also a Luke, but was a wax cast of the unproduced alternate head for the 1997 Power of the Force II Luke in his ceremonial outfit in which he received his medal after blowing up the Death Star. This sculpt made it as far as production, and at least two carded examples exist with this early head. But Hasbro pulled it before it was released at retail, and released it with a new sculpt that would be featured on most Luke figures during the rest of the line's run at the end of the century. Whereas the wax sculpt was created from a block of wax, a wax cast consists of wax that has been melted and poured into a silicon mold created by that original wax. 
These wax casts have been used to refine features and make any changes without affecting the original wax sculpt itself. The alternate sculpt Luke ceremonial figure is considered a true grail among collectors, and I'm very happy to own a piece of the pre-production process for this figure. Hey Dave, this is Jason with the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors. Thank you for doing this. Um, there were many pieces that I picked up over 2020 that I really enjoyed and would love to share, but going with the theme of your show, I'm going to go with my first pre-production item that I've ever picked up, which is the Black Series, The Force Awakens Han Solo. It's got the tracking numbers on it. It's got colors that are very, very close to production. I display it right next to my production. I'm not a really big pre-production guy, but when I saw this, for whatever reason, it spoke to me, and I knew I needed it as part of my collection, and so I went out and I grabbed it. So I would say that's probably one of my favorite pieces that I picked up this year. And then to answer your second question about what was my favorite personal collecting moment of the past year, I'm going to have to go with the summer social that the Georgia Alliance put, put on back in August. For me, it was a very creative endeavor. Um, my part in that whole thing was very minuscule. But I was able to do what I do best, which is create little pieces of video that played before panels and after panels. Um, there, were, there were intro bumpers with action figures in different colors with lights flashing around them. There were, there were sexy time videos where I, I took the power of the force action figures with all their muscular glory and shot them in a funky way, I'll put it that way. I also put together a short film for the, the thing. Um, called The Duel, where Boba Fett and the Mandalorian meet. So that was fun to animate over uh, an afternoon. And then I was also part of your panel, your live panel, um, talking about collecting during the quarantine. And your show is a show that I, I highly regard as one of the best Star Wars podcasts out there. And I really didn't want to mess it up. So it was important to me to make sure that I did all my research, that I made sure that I understood everything as I thought I did, and then do it live. Um, you know, everybody's watching, and if you mess up, they watch you mess up. Luckily, I don't think anyone messed up. I, I thought it went really well, and it was a great challenge to do some live programming. And it was a thrill, and I'm very, very proud of all everything that we did in the social. That whole week, and I will always look back and remember as something that I was a part of and that I was proud to be a part of it. I'm very thankful for the for the everybody involved in the Georgia Alliance for letting me be part of it and to help out. So that's my favorite personal moment from 2020. And uh, thank you. Welcome to the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast. It's the Cardcast. Newest news on the oldest tour. February also marked a monumental achievement in the Star Wars collecting world. The original podcast devoted to the vintage Star Wars hobby, the Kivecast Vintage Pod, celebrated its 10th anniversary. Sky Payne and Steve Danley debuted the podcast in 2010 and have published more than 100 episodes. Each month, Sky and Steve cover a Star Wars figure in the order it was released by Kenner. In addition to giving us some insight into the character's history through sources like different iterations in the film's scripts, they also interview collectors with extensive knowledge on how the figure was made and what items still exist from the pre-production process. It was through the podcast that many of us learned about events like the premier collectible auctions and international collector events, or how a proto-mold differed from a hard copy. 
And on a larger scale, we saw the impact that people like Steve Denny, Gus Lopez, and Ron Salvatore have had on our hobby. And in creating a podcast that has spanned the past decade of collecting, Sky and Steve have had a tremendous impact as well. By utilizing the podcast format, they brought a warmth and a personalization that a forum or social media page often cannot replicate. For many of us who began collecting on our own little islands, the podcast was an answer to our question. Is there anyone else out there who thinks like me and feels a connection to these films and toys? I stumbled upon the Kivecast when I began collecting about a decade ago. On my way to toy shows, I would listen to the latest episode, learning about the figures, but more importantly, about the people who shared the same passion for them as me. The Kivecast and its sister site, the Star Wars Collector's Archive, offered exciting and invaluable information freely. I honestly wouldn't have had the understanding of and appreciation for Star Wars prototypes and collectibles if it weren't for them. And so my goal was to find a way to give back in some way to our community. And that's how the idea for Star Wars prototypes and production first materialized. Even before I had the idea for this podcast, I had hoped that one day, I too would have information I could share with others about collecting in an appearance on the Kivecast. I met Sky and Steve on the same night at their archive party at Celebration Orlando in 2017, and struck a friendship with each of them. They are as gracious and as kind as you would expect them to be, and I've been blessed to share some really wonderful moments with them over the past few years at events and meetups. So this past year, to celebrate their 10th anniversary, Sky and Steve extended an invite to anyone who wanted to come on the episode to talk about what the Kivecast meant to them. And about a week before the episode was released, Sky and I recorded a conversation in which I talked about the five episodes that were among my favorites. To be part of the Kivecast was a bucket list item, but I also wanted to thank the two of them on record for the impact they have had on my life, for some of the friendships I have made over the years, and for some of the events I have been able to attend as a result. Sky and Steve love Star Wars and collecting, but their friendship is probably one of the most special things to come out of their podcast. They have experienced so much together, and even played an important role in each other's weddings. And I truly hope they continue to release monthly episodes for the rest of their lives. As long as Star Wars is a part of our culture, I'm sure they'll always have things to laugh about and discuss in fascinating, revelatory detail. Stephen B. Danley, Sky Payne. Here's to the next decade, Wampa Wampa. Hey, David, it's Chris Vargas. Wanted to say thank you for the fantastic work that you do on Star Wars prototypes and productions. It's always a great listen, and I look forward to every episode. My favorite pickup of 2020 was difficult to pinpoint. I would have to say that it was probably a handful of the items that I had purchased in the spring um, with all the fun that we had as a community with the Deal or No Deal group on Facebook. Um, Best memory of the year was also difficult to pinpoint, but it would have to do with the Zoom meetups that the Empire State Group started to host back in March, I believe. I thought we would probably host it for about three weeks, and um, we did official hostings of virtual meetups on zoom until the beginning of the summer and 
in actuality, it, even though they're not official meetups anymore, the enthusiasm behind them hasn't died down. So it's very special for me to see how people within our community, good friends, and people who have become good friends in the last year still want to get together, even virtually, just to see each other and chat about Star Wars and have a great time. So uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing a lot of people in person this year. And um, I really, really look forward to it. Thanks again, David, for all you do. At the end of February, Disney released its first original Star Wars content of the year, the seventh and final season of the animated series The Clone Wars. Season seven came at the perfect time. Among Star Wars fans, Anakin Skywalker's former Padawan Ahsoka Tano has risen in popularity over the past decade. With so many at home during the end of the winter, viewers around the world tuned in to see how the Clone Wars would end. And it did not disappoint. Dave Filoni wrote and directed a masterful four-episode arc that weaved itself into the events of Revenge of the Sith and ended with the clones turning on the Jedi. The conclusion of The Clone Wars offered some of the best Star Wars storytelling in years, if not of all time. It was really interesting to see the reaction among Star Wars fans, especially those who decided to watch the series for the first time. But the most touching reactions came from those who watched the series with their children. Seeing The Clone Wars through their eyes gave them a new appreciation for the characters and the stories told after the prequel trilogy concluded. And many families continued watching together during the pandemic, binging shows like Star Wars Rebels and the recent Filoni-led animated series Resistance. But between the first season of The Mandalorian and the last season of The Clone Wars, the Lucasfilm story team had injected a much-needed jolt back into Star Wars. As the Skywalker saga reached its conclusion, many fans were skeptical of the direction for future Star Wars stories. But Star Wars was approaching a new, uncharted era, no longer anchored by the nine-film epic. And with people like Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau leading the way, the galaxy far, far away is as exciting as ever. March was a time in which our collecting community pulled together in a big way. It happened pretty quickly, too. Zoom calls and live stream videos over Facebook became the way many of us communicated with each other when we could no longer spend time together. There was a sense of unity, as if everyone was pulling together to stay connected and to keep those around them in good spirits. Old Angel Eyes himself, Sweden's Matthias Rendall, created the community's first virtual room sales event, where collectors bought and sold rare Star Wars items during a Friday night. One of my favorite personal moments from the year was seeing many of our friends lift back the curtain to let us into their homes and into their collecting rooms. For two weeks, our friends hosted live stream videos over Facebook in which they would walk us through their collections. I remember making a special late-night meal each night and sitting for an hour or so at my kitchen table, watching as a fellow collector would highlight some of the spotlight pieces in their displays.
As exciting as it was to see what was carefully curated on each shelf, the stories behind the items were funny, fascinating, and profound. And there would come a moment each night in which, at some point deep in the exploration of a friend's collection, I would realize I was not in the home of Matt George, learning about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pre-production, or stumbling over the prototypes lining the floor of Mark Vanis' basement, but instead was sitting at my kitchen table, transported back into my home again. Those evenings meant so much to me, especially during the first few anxiety-heavy weeks of the pandemic. I think they gave all of us something to look forward to each night that took our minds off of the circumstances that were beyond our control. It was a wonderful opportunity to see my friends' collections in an intimate fashion and to hear the stories behind why certain pieces meant something to them or how they acquired them. But as much as I was learning about the different toy lines and different eras of Star Wars, I was learning more about the people with whom I shared a passion for collecting. Chris Vargas set up a weekly Saturday night Zoom chat for the Empire State Club members to spend some time together virtually. I cannot remember laughing harder than on some of those Zoom calls, and many of them would extend into the early hours of Sunday morning. Chris also created a patch that he later mailed to collectors who would stay on these Zoom chats until after midnight, continuing the tradition of the Midnight Club, which I first covered in episode 19. The Empire State Zoom chats continued through the summer and were responsible for some of the funniest and craziest moments spent together during the pandemic. There's nothing like seeing Mac Dunbar-Bickmore appear on a call wearing a Don Post Emperor mask, or watching Jesse Cedar Silverman live from Hawaii and jumping on a Zoom chat after coming directly from a huge toy find as he unloads his car by throwing hundreds of toys from his trunk across his garage, to the horror of us all. Or if you were there for this, you know what I'm referring to. Watching 30 of your friends use their creativity for revenge in wild ways on a Saturday night. All in the name of a Sigma C-3PO tape dispenser. Hi, this is Chris Kaminsky. My favorite pickup of the year was my droid C-3PO because I've been wanting one for so long. And then my favorite collecting moment of the year was when I received my gift from the Secret Santa, which was an awesome Brain Invaders 2-pack from the Clone Wars, which had Ahsoka and a clone in it. Very exciting. My last day of commuting into New York City for work was at the end of the second week in March. I had planned to take a few days off the following week to drive out to the Columbus Toy Show in Ohio but the event was understandably canceled. And 2020 was the first time in almost four years in which I didn't make it out to Ohio for a toy show. And in looking back on the month, I realized I had released an episode on the first day I began working from home, the first day of what has become the new normal for now. April kicked off one of the most exciting seasons for collectors in years. 
a quiet Facebook group called Deal or No Deal suddenly became the epicenter of activity among those looking to buy rare Star Wars items and those who were willing to sell them to the highest bidder. The mechanics of Deal or No Deal were simple. A seller would post something for sale accompanied by photos and a description. Anyone could then place a bid on it and the seller would accept or reject the offer. The format benefited the seller in ways that most auctions couldn't. A seller had no obligation to make a deal with anyone if a desired price wasn't reached. Therefore, it benefited long-time collectors to gauge interest in a piece by putting it up on Deal or No Deal. And with many toys and prototypes appearing publicly for the first time, collectors salivated at the offerings and paid up to get them. For nearly six months, we all logged on to Deal or No Deal each day at an almost obsessive pace, many times hourly, awaiting the next big item to come up for sale. What began with Mark Vanis selling a few modern prototypes to pass the time stuck at home grew into an event that consumed the hobby. In many ways, Deal or No Deal brought our community closer. It did something very few events have ever done on a scale like this. It removed the curtain between newer collectors and the established ones. Since most of us were spending time on Deal or No Deal daily, we were interacting more frequently. And through discussions on the auction posts or in conversations about the pieces being offered, we were getting to know one another better in a shorter period of time. Relationships in the hobby are built upon two principles, frequency and trust. Because of the rarity of items along with their values, other collectors want to make sure you're collecting for the right reasons and are in it for the long run before they welcome you into the fold. It took me a few years of showing up at event after event before I became a familiar face in the hobby. With Deal or No Deal, many newer collectors were establishing themselves within weeks of constantly checking in to the site. And for the first time, newer collectors had the same public opportunity to go after pieces that would normally sell to other longtime collectors in private deals. The traditional system naturally rewarded those who had put the time into building relationships and establishing themselves as stewards of a particular character or line. So naturally, when a piece would turn up, fellow collectors would direct a seller to someone whose focus would benefit from adding to it. But now, with Deal or No Deal, if you wanted a rare multicolored Power of the Force 2 first shot, or a carded graded Uzai figure, or an Empire Strikes Back proof card, it could be yours. Deal or No Deal also helped collectors in the art of curating. Being home during the pandemic gave all of us a chance to assess our collections. We were able to sell the items we picked up that no longer fit our foci, or ones that didn't matter as much to us as we had once expected. With work and family and our daily obligations, we're often operating at such a pace that we keep acquiring things without stopping to question which pieces actually mean something to us. And Deal or No Deal gave us a platform to sell these pieces we no longer wanted and to put them with collectors who would appreciate them. Those prototypes that have been sitting in bins for the past few years? Once they showed up on Deal or No Deal, they became centerpieces for many of us. The excitement and fervor surrounding Deal or No Deal lasted longer than we thought it would. In August, I published an episode about how it became the hub for collectors during the spring and summer of the pandemic. It's episode 26 and is titled Deal or No Deal, the history of the hottest collecting group during the quarantine. 
With the episode, I wanted to do two things. First, I wanted to capture that time period on record, because it felt very special, and I didn't want any of us to forget it. Secondly, I wanted to detail the items that were offered and sold, because many of them were storied and unique pieces, sold by many of the stewards of our hobby. Hey David, it's Finney Tricomi. My favorite pickup this year. I think I would have to say it's buying a lot of vintage weapons from James Simpkins. Not the sexiest purchase, but one, I guess it's just more meaningful to me. I think some of you know, one of my passion projects is restoring my childhood figures. I was haunting them as a kid. Nothing survived. Uh, But it's so much fun putting them back together. And I'm finally down to some of the more harder parts, like Bespin Layers Plaster, R2 Sethoscope, and good luck finding Lando General's cape. Uh, Hopefully 2021 will bring a few of those harder-to-find pieces. Uh, Favorite collecting moment of 2020? That's funny because it just happened yesterday. One of the swag crew admins that I'm friends with, Terry, made me a homemade Mandalorian bandana for my new puppy, Scarlet. It was just so nice of her to send that to me, and it's something that I'll always, always treasure. I'm almost jealous of Scarlet. I'm hoping she outgrows it so I can put it in my display case. So with that, Happy New Year, David, and to all my vintage collecting friends. It's been so long since we've seen each other. Hopefully 2021 will change that. Take care, everyone. Another episode dear to my heart was released in April, titled The Clone Wars, George Lucas, Dave Filoni, and a New Era of Storytelling. It explained how the animated series came to be and how Dave Filoni became Lucas's Padawan. The episode is one of which I am most proud. It was a massive undertaking, one that required more than a month's worth of research, but I learned so much about the origins of a crucial era in Star Wars storytelling. And as more and more Star Wars fans were discovering the Clone Wars and were binging more than 100 episodes while quarantined, I felt the episode would be the perfect complement to their viewing experience. Something that really struck me was the scope of George Lucas's vision and how the series pushed past the technological limits of animated shows and computer-generated imagery to deliver something groundbreaking. It was everything Lucas had wanted to do with the prequels, but in the perfect medium. Lucas and his team were able to create new worlds inhabited by new characters whose depth and on-screen believability would create emotional connections with viewers. And with subsequent shows like Star Wars Rebels and The Mandalorian, the Clone Wars stories would continue, to the delight of fans around the globe. Researching and creating that Clone Wars-themed episode wasn't just a rewarding experience. It actually helped me to land a rare and storied Clone Wars piece. A few weeks ago, I was scanning through my usual eBay searches and decided to try something different. A new search uncovered a Toys R Us store display from 2008. The display was in three parts, each one two feet tall. The first had the Star Wars logo in navy, against the iconic white and royal blue design found on many of the early Clone Wars product packaging. 
Underneath the Star Wars logo was the title, The Clone Wars Shop. The second of the three boards had the words, Coming Soon, in bold white letters, and the date for the release of the toys as Saturday, July 26, 2008. This date was almost a month before the premiere of the Clone Wars feature film on August 15th. I believe this is the earliest display used to promote the line. But it was the third board that intrigued me the most. Against the blue and white background, Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Yoda stood with lightsabers in their hands, ready for battle. There were six signatures along the white border and on Yoda's robe. The seller was only able to identify two of them. One belonged to Matthew Wood, the supervising sound editor and voice actor for General Grievous and the Battle Droids, and Tom Kane, the voice of Yoda. The episode I did for the podcast focused on the early years of the Clone Wars and the team directly responsible for bringing the film and the series to life. And as I poured over that eBay image of the signed display, the names of those I had written about in April suddenly became very clear to me. The first was Darren Marshall, who added the phrase, the mud-pushing sculptor, to his signature. Darren sculpted 3D clay models known as maquettes, based on the 2D conceptual drawings of characters like Anakin. The maquettes were used to see how artists' renderings would translate to a computer-generated animated realm, and how light and shadow would realistically affect the design. Darren was that bridge between traditional art and a new era of computer animation, and his sculpture of Anakin caused George Lucas to approve the style and design that would become the basis for the characters in the series. The second signature belonged to Killian Plunkett, the lead character designer for The Clone Wars. Killian is another incredibly talented artist who is directly responsible for the design of the characters we love, and after working on The Clone Wars, he became the art director for Star Wars Rebels. One of my favorite things about Killian's signature is that he drew the head and neck of a battle droid as a complement to it. The third was the toughest one to decipher, but above his signature, he wrote the phrase, May the words be with you, always. Thinking back to the episode, I remembered that the main writer on the film and series was Henry Gilroy. Some quick internet searches for an example of his signature proved this one to be a match. In the modern era of Star Wars storytelling, Henry Gilroy is one of the most important writers, and arguably the most underrated asset. He penned many of the early episodes for The Clone Wars, as well as The Clone Wars comic books. He was also a co-executive producer on Rebels, and wrote a number of key episodes for the series as well. The fourth and final mystery signature was not really a mystery at all. I don't collect autographs, but I've wanted a Dave Filoni piece for a while. Most Star Wars fans now know Dave from his work on The Mandalorian, but Dave's impact on the modern Star Wars era is legendary. He created Ahsoka, ran the Clone Wars series with George Lucas, created and headed Star Wars Rebels and Resistance, and is currently working on the upcoming live-action Ahsoka series. And one of the best things about a Dave Filoni signature is the sketch that usually accompanies it. The one on this display was of a clone trooper, possibly Captain Rex. I was able to pick up the display for an amazing price, especially considering the current prices of anything signed or sketched by Dave Filoni alone. 
This particular piece means so much to me because it came out before the world was introduced to the film and the series that premiered a few months after it. Whenever I look at the display, I'll always connect it to that podcast episode. Hi, my name is Evan Hoyt Wasserstrom, and I am part of the Star Wars collecting community, and my two... uh, Uh, My only two pickups this year, but were really huge pickups for me uh, through the kindness of the collectors that we all know with one another, uh, was to finish my uh, Empire Strikes Back Canadian Sears exclusive skin wrap run fully sealed with the last edition of the Lobot mock. And that was from the one and only amazing David Gall. And David has been mentoring me on the skin wraps ever since I took my interest in them. And uh, this is not the only one from his collection that he has gotten to me. But, uh, you know, during this year being so rough, he wanted to make sure I had it. And to keep my spirits up with a smile during, you know, all this social distancing and isolation. And David is not only uh, an amazing friend and a tremendous collector, but and a mentor to me on the skin wraps through and through, but he is absolutely one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met. And it is just a true honor to know him, let alone call him a friend. And I am ever so grateful for him. And uh, another uh, part of my gratitude goes to my second pickup uh, a little bit later in the year which is the Empire Strikes Back Collect All 32 Bell Store Toy Display. And that, uh, that came uh, with an AFA grade of 75 to match my Collect All 41 Empire Strikes Back Bell Toy Store Display. And that was through just pure beauty and miraculous moments that, with the help of David DeMarcus and truly the guidance and amazement of the all-amazing Tom Derby. And I am grateful to these men through and through, as I'm grateful to all the collectors I know due to their friendship, like David Quinn himself. And... Yeah, so the Lobot skin wrap to finish up my skin wrap run of Sealed 7. Uh, it sounded like Navy Seal 7. Uh, of the sealed mocks of the seven of them. And the Collect All 32 Empire Strikes Act Bell display. And that is only due to the most wonderful human beings in this hobby. And I'm just ever so grateful to be in this hobby and to know all of you. Happy New Year. In May, Disney released its second offering of original content. Premiering on the Star Wars-themed holiday May the 4th, fans were treated to an eight-part documentary on the making of Season 1 of The Mandalorian. And as the nicer weather finally settled in, I did something I haven't done in years. I spent almost every day outside, enjoying the beautiful spring and summer with which we were blessed. Two years earlier, my hours increased as part of a title transition. 
With more and more people pouring into the city to work, the time spent commuting each day had increased as well. I would leave my house at 6 in the morning and was walking back through my front door between 7 and 8 o'clock at night. My summers were shrinking, and I wasn't enjoying them like I once did. Being home this past year, I was able to work outside using a phone and a laptop. And on the days where I couldn't be outside, I was able to spend time each evening in my backyard after dinner, talking to friends over FaceTime and Zoom, or working on the podcast until the sun would finally sink into the horizon, surrounding me in darkness and causing the porch light to turn on automatically. I would sit with a cup of fresh water with a coin-sized sliver of ginger in the bottom, or a cup of green tea with honey, especially on the cooler nights toward the end of the summer. I remember sitting at times and just taking in the fresh air, or listening to the rustle of the blue jays and cardinals swooping in to get food from my neighbor's bird feeder, or the tiny chipmunk that would scamper along the lower walls of the back of my house and would store food in a tiny alcove next to the screen door. I'd watch as deer would sometimes find their way into my backyard, and seeing me would glide over a stone wall, disappearing as fast as they had arrived. My clothes and skin always smelled of coconuts, as I was always covered in a layer of suntan lotion. I'd often forget where I was, and what was happening in the rest of the world. We need those times. And I had it for an entire summer. I fought for every moment outside, knowing there would come a time in which it would be too cold to sit in my backyard. Those were beautiful days, and I wait for the season to come around again. Hey, it's Mark Ruciano. Uh, and 2020 was a great year for a lot of uh, awesome additions to my foci. I've never used that word before out loud. I've typed it. Uh, hopefully I'm using it correctly. Uh, but one of my foci is micro pre-production. And within that, I really focus on a couple of things. And one of them being the turret defense. Um, have uh, some uh, test paints and pre-production pieces and transparencies for that. But this year I was able to pick up um, the proof for the turret defense box. And um, that, uh, that not only became uh, my centerpiece for my 2020 acquisitions, but also just my whole micro pre-production collection in general. Uh, that kind of just elevates things when you get a, you know, something that's a one of five. But the, the proof for the turret defense box is, um, is, is, is definitely my highlight of 2020 in a field of a lot of major acquisitions that, that, that's saying a lot. Uh, as for my favorite personal collecting moment of the year. Um, I'm going to try to culminate this in one moment, but um, I, th I think the virtual community in general the, uh, that we are all responsible for, I think as a, as a, as a hobby, um, as fandom, and as a collective at large, I think we should really be uh, proud of ourselves for what we did to kind of forge relationships. Because I've, I've generated uh, relationships and conversations and events with people in the hobby uh, more than I have in my own life outside of the hobby with family and, 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 and other friends, right? Uh, I, I, I love the energy around it, uh, the fact that people engage in it, whether it be, um, you know, uh, the Georgia Social, um, you know, the something for Rancho, the Empire State, Zoom chats, peg warmers, you know, uh, whatever it is, I feel like everyone's really open to engaging. And I think that uh, that, that can't be overlooked and taken lightly. 
And I'm going to give like a perfect example is something that maybe in any other year, any other year would have been, um, you know, commonplace and something, you know, uh, noteworthy, but not uh, of a magnitude. But the the, the Secret Santa stuff, uh, specifically George's White Wampa, right? I'm going to use that as an example. So here's something that, again, is done virtually, whereas last year they did it in person as well, too. And they couldn't really, you know, uh, do the same kind of winter social. But let's use the White Wampa, something that everyone's been doing in the history of friends, workspaces, offices, whatever it is, Secret Santa, right? And, um, you know, John Waterhouse, somebody I've never met in person, never really spoken too much, uh, really just got to know because of my involvement with the Georgia group virtually. Uh, he ended up getting me and he took a shot in the dark and ended up, uh, you know, going after a droids animation, um, animation paint cell, uh, which he didn't even know I have a minor collection of that I never advertised and didn't know. Uh, and he went and got something, uh, you know, when I had mentioned I like droids as one of the you know, one of the potential things for my gifts. And here I get something that adds to my collection and uh, never spoken about and total, like I said, total shot in the dark and he gets something and it's a cell I don't have. Um, and, you know, here's something that somebody spends, you know, 40 bucks on and it somehow, you know, makes a difference in someone's collection. And I really think that that is a representation of this kind of virtual synergy that we've, we've created. Um, and I hope really doesn't uh, disintegrate, uh, to use a Star Wars term, or dissipate once uh, we get back to inform, you know, in-person meetups and celebrations and you know, going to cons freely. Like I really hope that we really don't look back on this and think, thank God that's over with, where we don't have to like dial into Zoom or dial into Mark's living room. You know, uh, I, I really hope it continues somewhat because regardless of whether we go to conventions again uh, or meetups, there's a lot of these relationships that really have only been forged because of the virtual in, in environment, regardless of whether uh, there was a pandemic or not. We may never have had that kind of relationship with somebody. I finally achieved one of my long-standing goals this year, to begin a series I've dreamed of doing ever since I decided to create a Star Wars podcast. As a prototype collector, I noticed that many of my friends and fellow enthusiasts in our community desired to know more about the pre-production process. In fact, many openly admitted to me that they didn't even know what some of the prototypes they owned were, if they were real, and if so, what they were called, and where they fit in with the process of becoming a toy. And so, in June, the Collecting Prototype series commenced. I had actually started to plan a few episodes with my mentor and dear friend Anthony Pagano, and the idea of sharing information and having a conversation around the world of prototypes and pre-production was exciting to both of us. Our friendship began through a love of these pieces, and I had learned so much from Anthony through my own collecting journey over the years. The first episode was an introduction to collecting prototypes, and why a collector would pursue these early items. It also contained a conversation with Anthony about how he became a collector almost 20 years ago, and some of his stories along the way. I published the second episode later in the month, and it is one I believe will help prototype collectors immensely. The episode explored the pre-production process behind the making of an action figure. 
When it comes to prototypes, people will discuss certain pieces on social media or online, but there were few resources that painted a fuller picture of the process from start to finish. Using the example of a 2001 Power of the Jedi Han Solo figure, I aimed to demonstrate how Hasbro would have created that figure and the steps it would take to become a figure sold at stores around the country. I'm really proud of the way this episode turned out, and I would implore anyone who collects prototypes or would like to begin collecting prototypes to listen to this episode and to listen to it a few times. Once you understand the process behind how a toy is made, the pieces that you see for sale or in posts on social media will start to mean more to you, and you'll develop a fuller appreciation for the work Kenner and Hasbro has done on Star Wars collectibles over the past 40 years. The third and final Collecting Prototypes episode produced for the year was another collaboration with Anthony, and focused on the role that presentation boards played in pitching Star Wars figure and toy concepts at Kenner and at Hasbro. Together, Anthony and I were able to use the boards he owned, as well as images from his archives and from other online sources, to create a timeline that covered 1994 to 2001, the earliest years of a Hasbro-led Star Wars. To my knowledge, this was an area previously unexplored in a comprehensive format, and it was nice to work with Anthony in bringing much of this information to light. We have some interesting episodes planned for the Collecting Prototypes series this year, so stay tuned. Hi, this is Jason Knox. My favorite pickup of the year would have to be my Canadian and Paltoid Droid Factories. The Droid Factory was the first Star Wars item that I purchased in 2015 getting into collecting, and... Once I found out that there were other versions of it, I knew that one day I would have to get them. And my favorite collecting moment of the year would have to be the virtual Zoom chats with the Georgia and Empire State groups through the pandemic and the incessant staying at home can drive you batty. But... Um, knowing that I can jump on the Zoom and have awesome conversations with my other Star Wars collecting friends and buddies and made the isolation and the pandemic a little easier to handle. So that is a look at the first half of 2020, through the eyes of a collector. It was a challenging year to be sure, but it was also one of the most enlightening, and in many ways I feel blessed to have gone through it. And through the love of family and friends, I certainly didn't go through it alone. My thanks to Evan Hoyt-Wasserstrom, Chris Kaminsky, Joe O'Neill, Joe Lilly, Jason Wasuko, Vinny Tracomi, Jason Knox, Mark Rusciano, and Chris Vargas for sharing some of their insights for the year, 
And a special thanks to Tom Quinn for reflecting on life in the midst of a pandemic. Thank you for joining me as we head into Season 3. Tune in next time for Part 2 as we take a trip through the second half of 2020. Until then, you can be a light to those around you. Figure out how to do that, and you'll never regret it.